Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yeah, baby, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator, good Monday morning to you. It is uh, that beautiful, that beautiful day of the week, that first day after the weekend where you have to prop your eyelids up with toothpicks and say, yes, of course I'm awake and I'm ready to go and ready to face the whole, the whole thing, the whole thing. It is, uh... Just, I mean, and and what the heck, man? This winter cannot decide what it wants to do. Eleven below here, at the uh, old radio ranch, uh, getting things ready. Uh, burr, 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 burr. But uh, it's okay. We got a hot show to warm you up for today. Lots of good stuff to talk about. The uh, session uh, is underway, and people is busy getting things done in the legislature. We're going to talk about uh, all the things that have happened there, including the attempt to override the veto and a um, and the new uh, education bill that came out uh, that came out uh, of the uh, House Education Committee uh, over the weekend and uh, and more. Plus, in hour two, <clears throat> we're going to be joined by State Senator. Shelly Hughes, who uh, it's been a while since we've talked to her. It's been a few months since we've had a chance to really visit with her. And uh, we're going to talk with her about uh, her priorities this session, get a kind of a session report, prediction, update from her, uh, and we will talk about all that and more. So kind of looking forward, kind of looking forward to that. We're going to we're going to talk about all that and then some we'll see. We'll see where it goes from there. Uh, anyway, should be a fantastic show for you today. Uh, I hope you had a good weekend. Uh, I hope her. I hope that. Uh, uh, I hope you uh, got a chance to rest and recuperate, to rejuvenate, and to uh, just overall be, you know, be be well and uh, enjoy some time with the family, uh, and do that. If if this week, if the weekend was your weekend, I know some of you don't work. Uh, you know, some of you work off hours and your weekends in the middle of the week. Sorry about that. That's just that's just weird. Uh, but uh, here we are ready to uh, um, we're, we're going to we're going to figure it out here and get things ready to go. So uh, what are some of the stories that uh, are coming up on today's agenda? Well, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the um, uh, the Alaska's population uh, loss. The continuing ongoing saga of the outmigration here in the state of Alaska. Uh, we'll also talk about um, the uh, override, veto override, which it, it, there's an interest. I don't know exactly what's going on there, but there's an interesting um, backstory. There's some interesting flavor going on in the background of that. And I want to I want to talk about that for a minute 
Uh, we'll also talk about, of course, the new uh, education bill that uh, advanced out of the um, that advanced out of the House Rules Committee. Did I say Education Committee earlier? I did, didn't I? Uh, I meant the House Rules Committee. Uh, and then uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about <laughs> the 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 weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth that is going on in the Anchorage School District. Uh, as they continue to talk about all the cuts that they're way. But here's the thing. Here's here's part of this this whole deal. They just can't help but lie. Uh, they just can't help but fabricate. They just can't help but, I mean, we talked about this recently where, you know, some of these things that are being said by, uh, by legislators and, well, as specifically by school board members is just fallacious um and and they keep repeating this kind of stuff and uh, we'll talk about this here um uh, in just a moment we'll talk about that but i guess we should start out with this morning <clears throat> because uh now like i said we don't necessarily do national stuff on the show very much just simply because we feel like uh you know there's not a lot we can do about it um I did see that DeSantis has now pulled out of the race. Uh, Vivek Ram, uh, Ramaswamy uh, pulled out, and now uh, DeSantis, of course, Chris Christie. Um, uh, DeSantis, when he pulled out, has endorsed Trump. Um, so that leaves uh, basically Nikki Haley and Trump, I think, as the as the two, and and you know, again the the. Uh, the, all the all the polling, all the stuff shows that uh, that uh, the the orange man is is on track to be the next nominee. But there was an interesting article in uh, Must Read Alaska um, from uh, Suzanne Downing that caught my attention, and uh, I had to laugh uh, because it says, "Who would be uh, who would be vice the uh, who would be the vice presidential nominee for Trump?" Um, and, uh, and she said, uh, who would be the vice presidential nominee for Trump? Senator Kawasaki says he had a dream and I'm like, okay, I, I just, you know, that's just too juicy a headline to bypass. So I went in and taken a look at it. And of course, you know, political observers are starting to, you know, throw their hats, throw their bets in the ring on who's going to be the vice presidential pick. Uh, should, uh, you know, should Trump really be nominated? Um, and there's already, of course, a lot of <clears throat> Veep potentials out there, including uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and uh, and more. Uh, number Names like Carrie Lake, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Christy Nome, Ben Carson. Um, and then there's the dream of Alaska Senator Scott Kawasaki. And he said that he dreamt that Governor Mike Dunleavy would be the vice presidential nominee. And he said he has a record of being correct. He said, I had a dream in the early morning in in 08 that Governor Sarah Palin was going to be selected as VP, probably because the radio was on in the background. He said, I had a dream last night that Governor Dunleavy was going to be selected as the VP candidate. So he said he thinks it's it's going to happen. Now, that apparently, to according to Downing, that may not be as crazy as people think. Uh, although, I mean, I don't know. Dunleavy was an early supporter of Trump. 
He endorsed his candidacy all the way back in August and has been mentioned by many as a possible choice for leading the Department of Interior, which would explain why he has been um, pretty quiet over on, on, on many things, right? Things that he could have taken a stand on and done a little more, but maybe that explains why he was, has not done that uh, over there. Um, if it does happen, Nancy Dahlstrom would become governor and Torrance Sachs, the commissioner of the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs, would become lieutenant governor. Uh, Dahlstrom would have to appoint a third in succession. If she wins her bid to become a member of Congress, then Sachs would become governor and he would have to appoint a third in succession while whoever Dahlstrom had appointed would become lieutenant governor. Are you following? Are you following along in this chain of um, all of it seems like a 76 yard field goal? And it probably is, says Downing. Uh, Trump hinted on Saturday that whoever whoever he picks will not be a big surprise. Dunleavy would be a big surprise to Americans, although he is one of the most popular governors in America, she says. I'm just wondering, is he one of the most popular governors in Alaska, though? I mean, really? I I just... <laughs> I mean, it's just... I don't know. Could you... I just... I just... And I just don't see that kind of thing rolling out again. I mean, they've already done the... They've already done the Alaska governor as the VP outsider once. And uh, it just didn't... It just didn't go well. Um, and... Mike Dunleavy is taller than Donald Trump, which I think could be the clincher there because he does not like that. <clears throat> I'm just saying from my personal observations, he does not like people who outshine him in any way. And uh, being a couple, three inches taller than him would be a... Uh, would be a, a I think would be a, a game be a game killer for that. It would be a, a I think that would be it. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, it uh, interesting interesting thought, interesting discussion. Um, but I and 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 by the way, would that would that help us, or would that hurt us? Um, at this point, I just don't. I just don't know. I just, I don't, I mean, Nancy Dahlstrom being the governor. Well, let's just say that I'm not, I'm not impressed by the track record overall that she's portrayed as, you know, as a legislature, a legislator. Um, and I it just, I don't know. I just, I just don't even, I don't think it's going to happen. So again, maybe we, maybe we shouldn't worry about it or whatever, but I just can't imagine. I guess she, she hasn't done much, but then again, I guess Governor Dunleavy really hasn't done much in the last, uh, in the last year, except for veto a portion of the school stuff. I mean, that's about the only thing that he's done so far. Um, is that, and by the way, Nancy Dahlstrom, she's got another job that she needs to be focusing on right now, which is cleaning up the voter rolls, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what she's supposed, she's supposed to have been cleaning up the voter rolls this whole time. So hopefully that can actually, that can actually get done. Um, 
It, it really is. So anyway, I, I just I, I had to start with that because could you imagine um, Trump picking uh, Dunleavy as a, you know, I don't know, but maybe Scott Kawasaki, maybe he is prescient. Maybe he's got a little bit of the woo woo in his, maybe he can, you know, hold his crystal ball and see it. I don't know. I like Scott. Scott's a, Scott's a friend of mine. We don't agree politically, but I find him to be a heck of a nice guy. And, uh, I could definitely see laughing about this together, uh, in the future. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if his prediction is correct. Vice President Dunleavy. Oh, oh my God. Uh, anyway, we'll uh, we'll we'll see what that uh, we'll see what that looks like as we go through. Okay. Uh, so I guess we're up against the break. Uh, we got to come back to this. We're going to start off. We'll start talking about the veto override, which took place uh, over the weekend, um, and. Uh, uh, or on uh, right before the weekend on Thursday night, right before the weekend, we didn't get a chance to talk about it on Friday because of uh, you know firearms Friday, but we will uh, discuss it here at length in just a moment. Some, some interesting, some interesting things coming out of this. We'll uh, we'll have a we'll have some some talks on that here. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We'll be back with more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Um, Heidi, Heidi Ho, Heidi Ho, Heidi Ho. 35 below in, uh, Jeffrey says, in uh, Fairbanks this morning. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. I it was so weird. It was like twenty degrees on Friday, and then it was like one degree on Saturday, and it was it was all over the place. I just all over the place. I can't keep track of it. Um. Ooh, Debbie says weekend ended with a supper of schnitzel mit Spätzl. Mmm, sehr gut, sehr gut, natürlich. Uh, anyway, uh, sounds fantastic. Um, the dramatics were a bit much Saturday listening to the testifiers of SB 140. The green room needed to serve juice boxes. Yeah, I could see that they had pictures of the whole hallway lined up there, uh, outside the room in Juno. You could tell it was, there was a lot of, yeah. Oh man. Um, Brian says, take him, please, uh, if we're talking about Dunleavy. Rick wanted to know what the hell the Kawasaki was smoking. Um, yeah. <laughs> Did Dahlstrom get the voter rolls clean? No, not yet. She's working on it. Um, 
Wait, wasn't there a clickbait news story about the military affairs guys becoming governor? I don't know. I Maybe there was. Maybe I missed it. But kind of weird that the I did not realize that the line of succession went to the Department of Veterans and Military Affairs. That's kind of that's kind of weird. I mean, that's kind of weird. Um, thirty five below, thirty five below. Uh, up in Fairbanks right now. Uh, it's still yeah, it's eleven below here. <laughs> still better than Fairbanks. Where I'm at is still better than Fairbanks. <laughs> Brian feels like he won the day today because what did you say you were, Brian? Nine above or something? Uh, where you're at? Six above? Six above uh, uh, over in the hook. Uh, uh, five above, I guess. But yeah. Hmm. Apparently, apparently I got the cold spot here. Not nearly as cold as those poor bastards up in Fairbanks, but. Um, uh, we can have, uh, we can have Kawasaki start making stock picks. You could have him on as the Kreskin thing on Wednesday. He calls it wizardly Wednesday. <laughs> oh man. Um, so much for global warming, says Amy. I wonder how electric vehicles do in the wintertime. I've been seeing a lot of comments from various people that part of the problem is is these electric vehicles are having a hard time with their their doors get frozen. They can't get into them. It's not so much that they won't run. It's that they're having a hard time getting into them. Uh, you did mention DeSantis dropped out, didn't you? I did mention that. I saw Even I saw that on the headlines that he had dropped out and endorsed the uh the goblin king i'm sorry uh uh donald trump um all right kodiak is basting in the warmth from the japanese current says teresa well you got to have some benefits from living out there in the in on the island right got to have some benefits um okay Um, Landfield posted, thank you, Rob. Landfield posted a story about the succession, the line of succession. It doesn't follow a department. The governor can appoint any department head as third in line. The previous one was Jason Brown. Well, that's weird. That is really weird. Um, and then David said, I believe I was only one of four who opposed increasing the BSA and supporting the State Board of Ed authorizing charter schools. Of course you were. They were out in force, man. Man, I, I they were out in force. All right, here we go. Jumping back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe. Let's do it. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, baby. Just a pinch of... I are a high school graduate. I got some... I got some education here. I got some intellect. Intellect. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's take a look at what, uh, what this is all about. I want to start first and foremost... To talk about the attempt to override the governor's veto, which uh, 
you know, on that first day of session, it crashed and burned 20 to 20, right? There wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to go on. And then there started to be some, there started to be some questions. There started to be some questions. Um, Calvin Schrege, the uh, House Minority Leader, the Independent, I'm just using air quotes in case you couldn't hear them, Independent uh, from Anchorage, started making waves about how it could be argued that the legislature is constitutionally required to meet in joint session to consider a veto. Um, Now, (laughs) that's news to me, uh, first and foremost. And in fact, that's news to every legislature that has met in the last 48, 50 years. Um, That it's constitutionally required to meet in the thing. But weirdly enough, David Eastman um, was the one that initially raised all the concerns. Calvin Schrege latched onto it, okay? But weirdly, it was David Eastman who, I, I mean, I, I, is, is, it a, is it an attempt to continue to be relevant? I, I don't know. I just don't know what's going on. Um, of course, he's outside of both caucuses, right? He was the one that initially raised the concerns about the constitutional requirements for a joint session all the way back on Tuesday. And um, and then he said uh, that Alaska's constitutional delegates made clear that a reconsideration vote was required. Now, this is the first time we've heard this argument. And David Eastman's been in the legislature for many years, and there's been many vetoes since then. So I'm, I mean, maybe he just discovered it. Maybe he just read it and was like, oh, there, I mean, you know, I don't know. But it just, <laughs> it just seems like there are certain people who live to be contrarian. You know what I mean? And uh, so anyway, once the, once this, uh, this cat was out of the bag, so to speak, and they started bringing up this constitutionality issue of it. Then the House majority uh, called an adjournment, recessed, and uh, met behind closed doors for a while. And when it was all said and done, um, Ben Carpenter came back and confirmed that he was one of the House Republicans who was then concerned after reading it, after looking at it, um, that, uh, this was something that, well, let me, let me just read what he said in the paper and let me, let me read between the lines in, cause I had some conversations with some folks behind the scenes over the, the end of the weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that kind of gives me a little bit more, I think, insight into it. But here, let me just say what, what let me read what he's quoted in the paper as saying. Uh, Representative Ben Carpenter from Dikiski confirmed he was one of the House Republicans who was concerned about the constitutional requirements to hold a joint session after it was brought to his attention last night. He said there were, quote, a handful, unquote, of others in the majority caucus who shared his position. He said, once I read the Constitution, it's clear to me in plain language that we have a responsibility to discuss vetoes when they're provided to the legislature. So I took an oath to uphold the Constitution, and that's what I do. Now, 
this this is interesting from a couple different perspectives. First and foremost, I think that this was a proactive move by some of the members of the House majority seeing that this was going to be an issue that they may that may have been used against the House later on in the session or even in the election season that they failed to uphold the Constitution by failing to meet over the vetoes. Now, whether that's true or not, I read another article, and I couldn't find it this morning, but I saw it on Friday of last week, that was basically said that Ledge Legal disagreed with the interpretation of uh, with the interpretation of uh, of that. Um, the the and so it's it's interesting. They but then they in this in this article they quote Megan Wallace who is the Legislative Affairs Agency legal counsel not ledge not le- anyway it's a it's it's dueling lawyers right but even her argument it said she said it could be argued that the legislature is constitutionally required to meet in joint session to consider consider a veto despite an ongoing practice by lawmakers not to do so. So anyway, first and foremost, I think it could be used against them to say, oh, they broke the Constitution because they didn't meet. And I think some of them saw this. I think some of the members of the House majority saw, well, look, they're going to try and beat us over the head with this. So let's get ahead of it and let's go ahead and just bring it up for a vote. We know it's not going to pass. But also, and even the paper picks this up, which is kind of interesting, one reason lawmakers were initially hesitant to call a special session was because it forced them to take a public stance on an issue that's likely to come up repeatedly both during the coming session and during the November election when three quarters of the lawmakers are up for re-election. Among them, this is the paper, is Senator Jesse Bjorkman, Nikiski Republican, former school teacher who's come out strongly in support of a permanent boost to school funding. In this year's election, Bjorkman is set to face a challenge from Carpenter. Bjorkman, like Carpenter, voted against the veto override on Thursday, and he declined to comment on his vote after the joint session ended. I think... On top of the fact that they kind of short-circuited the whole argument about them busting the Constitution by not addressing the veto, it also conveniently put a bunch of people on record for what they wanted to vote for. And I think at this point, you just saw that. Bjorkman, who's now facing Carpenter in this race, had to vote against the veto. He has been very vocal about upholding uh, the 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 increased BSA payment and everything else. I mean, he's been seen at the rallies. He was at the they had pictures of him speaking at the rally the other day. Right. I mean, he was up there talking. He's he's been very vocal about increasing that thing. And yet he voted against the override. Hmm. 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 Interesting. Interesting as you look at this, all the machinations that are going on behind the scenes. But again, this whole thing started, (laughs) this whole thing started from David Eastman. And I just, I cannot figure that guy. Like I said, I mean, he and I probably agree on 85% of the stuff that, that 
you know, that, that has been talked about around him. But sometimes I wonder at his methods. I mean, maybe there's a method to his madness or maybe it's just, I don't know. Maybe it's just, you know, always looking to throw a, a, a wrench into the, into the works there. I, I'm not sure. But I mean, this is the first time he's been in the legislature for quite a while. He sat through many vetoes. And then all of a sudden, now it's constitutional. Interesting. Interesting to see what, what happens. So anyway, the longer the short is that they, uh, they voted to, they voted to uh, sit for the override. Now Alaska is one of the, is is like one of the toughest states to to uh, to get a, a a veto override for a governor's veto because it requires three quarters of the legislature to vote in the affirmative to override the governor's veto. Um, in a lot of places, it's only two thirds, but here in Alaska, three quarters. Um, only thirty three. Out of 60 lawmakers voted in favor of the override, which is what, like 51% or something. It's, it gets, you know, not much. Those who supported the move, including 14 Senate members uh, and in the House, 19 members, 16 of which were the minority, and then three members of the Bush caucus in the majority voted in favor of it as well. Um, and so it's, you know, and of course, it's criminal. That's that we've heard things like uh, it's ridiculous, it's criminal, it's uh, shocking, it's dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, kind of crisis making. Um, now, some people had argued, including Craig Johnson, who voted against the veto override, that one of the reasons why he voted against it is because having short term emergency funding. Like just this one time push could jeopardize discussions of a longer term permanent increase to the funding, which I could see. I mean, I could I could see that argument. He said he preferred passing a permanent increase to the uh, to the base student allocation, the BSA Um, and the paper here. This is Sean McGuire, by the way, at the ADN. Did I say that earlier? If not, this I'm, the, the story I'm reporting out of is from the ADN, Sean McGuire, uh, et cetera. Um, but it said it gives the schools and the school boards an opportunity to plan as opposed to having to fight every year, which has been part of the problem. And that was really one of the arguments of the original BSA was that they would get a base amount with no argument, with no you know, back and forth and give and take and political, no compromise and really no oversight. And that's been part of the problem. I think some of the challenge, I mean, in theory, it works. That would be great. The problem is, of course, is they also remove the mandate that 70% of that money should remain in the classroom. And instead, most of that money now is sucked up by overhead administration, all the, all the other things. But um, he said that, you know, it'd be better to have it locked into the formula as opposed to having to fight for it every year. Um, Calvin Schrage said the students definitely lost out on Thursday, definitely lost out on Thursday. Oh, but you wait, you wait till you get to the story about the uh, <laughs> about the education bill that came out of the House Rules Committee. 
That's when things get apocalyptic, right? Because they just can't believe, can't believe that uh, these legislators wouldn't give in to peer pressure from all the special interest groups. Uh, There's some pretty interesting things that were said during that discussion as well. And we're going to get to that here uh, in just a minute. How much time we got? I got, I got time to, I got time to get started in it. Um, so, uh, I, I, I have questions. So we start out with the, uh, fact that they advanced the bill on Saturday to the house floor over overwhelming objections. This also from Sean McGuire in the ADN over overwhelming objections from parents and teachers to the modest size of the school funding increase included in the bill. Now, sidebar, can I just say for a moment, here we are. Spending billions of dollars on state government uh, in deficit. We're, we're, we're basically borrowing. We're taking money out of saving. We're, we're basically deficit spending. And the overwhelming objections from parents and teachers to the size of the modest size of the school funding increase. Um, the bill includes 30, 23... It's like a $150, $170 million bill. So I don't know about you, but that modest size, well, maybe it's because it's a modest size only to the BSA. I don't know. So the package combines several different proposals, including $58 million in teacher bonuses and a provision meant to increase the number of charter schools. Uh, the bill includes at least $23 million for homeschool students and up to $40 million estimated to be required to increase internet speeds for eligible schools across the state. Now, the testimony went on forever, and David Boyle, who's in the chat room this morning, mentioned during the last commercial break that of all the testifiers, that he was like one of four that basically testified in favor of the bill, that everything else was doom and gloom and, uh, again, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. And uh, this has been, the room was overflowing. So in Juneau, the room was overflowing uh, uh, with a vast majority of testimony from dozens of parents of teachers across the state, as well as I'm sure people on the phone and everything else. Um, But they said that it just, it's not enough. It's not enough. We need more. It was an eight- Hour hearing, eight hours of this. After almost eight hour hearing, all five GOP members of the House Rules Committee voted to send the bill onto the House floor as a comprehensive package, meaning they bundled it all together with the biggest BSA increase in over a decade. So, wait, wait, I thought he said early on that it was a moderate, it was about modest size, but it's the biggest increase in over a decade. Okay, okay. Two members of the Democrat-dominated minority caucus spoke in strong opposition, of course, to that as well. But there's more to this, and I want to get I want to get down into it and talk a little bit more about that here in just a second. But we're running up against the break, so I will come back to that, and we will continue here in just a second. And uh, then we'll be joined by State Senator Shelley Hughes at the, after the top of the hour. How's that? Sound good? All right, we're going to go. We're going to be back with more in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking. 
Radio. We return to more right after this. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay. Uh, uh, let me go back here. Let me go back here. Let me go back here. Um. Okay. Where were your listeners testifying on SB 140? Asked David. I don't know. I don't know. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, the, legislature need, the legislature needs to have a state grammarian per Eastman's reading in the Alaska Constitution. Hey, even Ledge Legal said that Eastman's reading was wrong. That's the thing. I mean, you got Ledge Legal saying, no, nah, that's not how it is. And then you got Legislative Affairs Legal Council saying, well, it could be, maybe. But then again, that's not the whole. I just don't even know. I don't know what's going on in Eastman's head. I don't even know what. I just don't even know. No, no. Um, um, that joint session said, uh, uh, said Tawny. That joint session override was only for show. Senator Dunbar afterwards stated that those who voted against clearly was not in support of education and need to be replaced during the election. I mean, yeah, they're trying to force a vote on it. Uh, not that I think you had to guess at anybody's position on that, stir. Um, oh, and Donna just corrected me. Apparently, I was wrong. I apparently read a wrong article on it. Uh, she said Ledge Legal agreed with the requirement but pointed out that the legislature hasn't been following the Constitution. Oh, you mean they, they selectively follow the rules? Is that what you're saying? Mm, mm. Um, question then. Then David asks a valid question. If, le if the legislature's not been following the Constitution, are many of their previous sessions unconstitutional? <laughs> oh man i mean it's just it's just crazy crazy um all right i'm just going through here free spankings radio only if you pay extra for that you gotta pay extra for that buddy you gotta pay extra for that stuff um the education industry fears the State Board of Ed starting charter schools because they lose control. They must maintain their monopoly. It's about the institution of education, not the students. Remember, the ASD took away the charter from the Family Partnership Charter School. FPSC then lost more than 600 of its students. Yes, exactly. That It's about control. That, that surprise, surprise, surprise. Um... Okay. Uh, and you can read the comments. Uh, is it ever a big surprise or fault the Constitution? Okay. 
I think I'm caught up. I think I'm caught up on most of the comments that have been made. The ones that caught my eye. Um, and really, deficit spending. Keep repeating and let that sink in, says Cindy. Yes. I mean, yes. That's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Um, what did I, what did I see? Uh, wait, uh, even though David Eastman has an R behind his name, he's working with the Democrats because he's ticked at the Republicans. That is from legislators, says Terry. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, it's just like, are you just, are you trying to just poke this, you know, pick the scab or what's, I just, I don't understand whether you're just trying to be contrarian to be contrarian or you're trying to make a point or whatever. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, they all stood up and they took the vote and they took the they 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 did what they were supposed to do. They followed the Constitution. And now nothing's changed except for Jesse Bjorkman voted against it, which is that's going to be an interesting. That's going to be an interesting thing. I think that is going to be that was not the 32nd bottle. That's going to be an interesting thing. To see how Bjorkman tries to spin that, because remember, he was the one he was actually in the they had pictures of him in the paper speaking at these rallies to support this kind of stuff. And now he had a chance and he voted against it. Why? Because he knows his constituency does not support it. And there you go. And there you go. All right. Now we're coming up on the, uh, now we're coming up on it. Uh, ready to go. Uh, the Michael Duke show continues. 60 people in the chat room. Only 13 of you have liked it. What's wrong with you? Reach up there and like that. Come on, baby. Make it happen. Like that thing. Hit the thumbs up or the laugh or the like or the hate. You can hate it too. You can be angry. Whatever it is, it helps. It always helps. I know you, I just, it always helps. Here we go. Jump back into it right now. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. That's right, not your daddy, at least that you know of. Hey, welcome back to the program. We're ready to go here. We're continuing our discussion about this uh, this vote last Thursday night, which we didn't get a chance to talk about on Friday, so we're talking about it today. So that's because Friday is Firearms Friday. That is sacrosanct, baby. We're not going to change that for anything. Um, so anyway, uh, they went out and they 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 took this vote in the house and um this whole story i I just i just love some of the i just love some of the uh the screeching i guess is what i would say the again it's apocalyptic it's draconian it's dogs and cats living together mass hysteria uh, the, the story from Sean McGuire in the ADN, first of all, takes a crack at Deanna Bishop, which I, I just find hysterical because remember the paper was all about Deanna Bishop when she was the, 
uh, when she was the superintendent for the Anchorage schools because she followed the narrative. She followed the mantra. And they, then they take a crack at her in this for there. She goes, for years, she advocated for a significant BSA increase as Anchorage superintendent. But after being appointed education commissioner, she said her position had evolved beyond calling for blanket funding increases. I mean, it's just like this, this snark, you know, the snark in this. And then, of course, they talk about how Anchorage School Superintendent Jared Bryant and Margot Bellamy, the school board president, penned a letter saying that, oh, man, $300 increase, not enough. It has $1,400 is what we need. And, and they just keep going on and on and on. Um, Cynthia Mika, who is a superintendent of the Kodiak Schools, called the House proposals a travesty. So here, here's the verbiage. Travesty. Uh, Shreggy said, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's a travesty. It's a dereliction of duty. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that it, just, it just goes on and on. And, of course, the inevitable threat of legal challenges. Uh, the executive director of the Coalition for Education Equity, Carolyn Storm, Again, warned that education advocacy groups are considering legal challenges unless the legislature substantially boosts school funding. If the legislature continues to grossly underfund public education, litigation is inevitable. Boy, I'd really love to see that argument being made in front of somebody that we have underfunded public education. I would love to see a per-pupil average spend how much we've spent. Has the BSA gone up? Not very much, but how much outside of the BSA has been funded? Again, look at Sarah Montalbano's numbers that she's written about over at the Alaska Policy Forum to show that over the last 20 years, there's been nearly a 30% increase in education spent. We spent $2.6 billion on education last year, but you know, we're grossly underfunding public education. Litigation is inevitable. Then, of course, we started talking about the charter school thing, which, again, remember, that's the control, folks. That's what, that is what control is about. Charter schools can be started, but as of right now, only school districts can give the sign-off on a charter school to start. In many other states, there are organizations, community groups, governors, and other things that can, again, sign off on charter schools. But here, it's only the school districts. And boy, do they hate competition. Um, but so, uh, so, so then critics of the new policy said that statewide, a statewide board could establish a charter school, but local school districts would then be compelled to operate them. It was, no, we just can't do that. Senator Gary Stevens said he was strongly opposed to state authorization of charter schools who, with concerns that they would disproportionately benefit wealthy families. Says the guy who fought tooth and nail for the 67% pay raise. <laughs> Sorry, I laughed so hard I gave myself a choke. Then they started talking about the uh, bonuses for teachers because the governor had proposed a $5,000 for bonus for teachers in urban areas and a $15,000 bonus for teachers in rural schools. Now, 
there has been some rumbling that this it could trigger some uh, legal battles because of uh, a disparate treatment and the state constitution's equal protection clause. Um, but you have to, but you have to love the NEA. Not only did they come forward and and try and give the governor a compliment, they kind of said the quiet part out loud. This is the quote. Tom Claymeyer, president of NEA Alaska, said in public testimony that the teachers unions appreciated Dunleavy's acknowledgement that teachers need increased pay, but that the bonuses should be broadened to include all school support staff. <laughs> any educator, any any educator will tell you that our support staff are critical to the success of our students, and they're experiencing the highest turnover and earn the lowest wages. Well, that's what happens, Tom, when you have two or three administrators or support staff for every teacher. When you look at the, I mean, this is, this is, we should be broadened to include all school support staff. Money, 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 money. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Then they went on to talk about the $23 million in extra funding for homeschooling correspondence programs, which, I mean, I don't have any kids in the program anymore, but man, more power to it. Jesse Sumner successfully introduced an amendment to eliminate the differential between homeschooled students and regular students, because up to now, homeschoolers only receive 90% of standard student funding. They only 90 percent. The the other kids, 100 percent. So he's changed that. Um, and of course, that I mean, that would that would be great. A lawsuit filed last year by NEA challenged how some parents have used state funds for homeschool programs to reimburse private schools. The union argues that violates the state constitution. Scooter Kendall, Scott Kendall. The attorney representing said the practice has been a shadow school voucher program. <laughs> Dark money shadow school voucher program. <laughs> oh, Scooter, you silly goose. Uh, another amendment would require audits of a handful of school districts finances each year after the Juno. This is because the Juno school district just found out that they're insolvent. <laughs> you cannot make this stuff up, man. Did you if you haven't if you didn't catch last what happened last week that the Juno School District discovered, oh, we're 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 broke. Uh, somebody done made a mistake or intentional or or wow, we're broke. So there's an amendment that would require an audit of the school district's finances each year. But <clears throat> then I had to look at this and just read this piece at the end because we're coming up to the end of the hour here. But remember last year, remember the end of the session, remember the turducken, remember the 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 whole surprise, remember the the bill that was dropped with just five hours remaining of the session. Do we remember all that? Anchorage Democratic Senator Logie Tobin, co-chair of the Senate Education Committee, said the addition of various positions, provisions to the bill, the House bill, uh, means that the bill originally written just to increase school Internet speeds would have way too many elements combined in one package. They Christmas-treated, essentially. Quote, 
it makes it heavy and it makes it convoluted and it makes it difficult for the public to digest, she said. This is the same woman that was all about stuffing all the budgets together into one package and then giving the legislature five hours to decide. Oh, it makes it heavy, makes it convoluted, it makes it difficult for the public to digest. Shut your... (laughs) Shut your pie hole. I can't believe you actually said that. After what happened last year... Oh, this bill's just too convoluted. We couldn't possibly. No, just couldn't possibly. The public, they're just not smart enough to figure this out. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Shelly Hughes up next. I mean, I'm reading this article, and I'm just like, okay, Loki Tobin said the addition of all these various provisions meant that the bill, originally written to just increase the school's internet speed, just a simple bill, would have too many elements combined into one package. How many elements does it have? Four now? Three? Four? Teacher's bonuses. Changes to the charter schools. Homeschooling and the internet speed. So now it has four things instead of one thing. But we couldn't possibly, we the public couldn't possibly follow along with that. Makes it heavy, makes it convoluted, and it makes it difficult for the public to digest. Oh God. Thank goodness we have you here, Senator Loki, to, to help us, to, to keep us on track. You know, what What were we going to do with last year when you dropped the whole freaking thing into one bill and then gave people five hours to decide? Really? You just... Really? I mean, did... Really? <sighs> I just read... I just... I could not... I could not fathom. I just cannot fathom it. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and see if I can actually pluck that quote out. Because it makes it heavy, makes it convoluted, makes it difficult for the public to digest. Because we just possibly... Oh, man. Oh, oh, yeah. That's true. I didn't even think about that. There's some some hypocrisy going on over the veto override. I wish I'd seen this earlier. Somebody sent me a message. Uh, People were spouting off about, you know, everybody being required by the Constitution to meet and discuss the veto overrides and everything else. And so they finally did it. And then they fully voted on one veto. They didn't vote on the other 30 budget items that were vetoed or the two bills that were vetoed. They only voted on the one thing. 
but it's con- but it's constitutionally required. <laughs> wow, the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy. Um anyway. I'm just Um, okay. Uh, Donna says, I have watched the NEA for decades and it's always the same. No matter how much money that goes to the school systems, it's never enough. They hate more money for kids and they also oppose more money for teachers bonuses because the NEA can't control that money. And then she said something more, but it, it cut off cause I can't read it, but there you go. Um, uh, David, Brian says he's going full Eastman and being a contrarian. Good for you, baby. Good for you. Um, man, uh, Jess, I wish I could read that whole, uh, Jess says deer house rule. She's, I think she's put up, this is her, this is her testimony. It looks like. Dear House Rules, I'm a homeschool parent, but also a licensed teacher who's been teaching in remote Alaska for 10 plus years. The union should be ashamed at how overtly they're trying to demonize school choice and correspondence schools. Why would anyone be against school choice? My son, who just entered ninth grade, just scored the 99th percentile with his PSATs and finished Algebra 2. This would not have been possible without being able to use correspondence schools. Do you have any? I Anyway, it goes on. I can't read the rest of it, but there you go. There you go. Uh, Jesse hasn't changed. He just wants to be reelected, which he knows he'll have a hard time doing because Ben Carpenter is running against him. I mean, that was exactly it. It was, I mean, this is the guy that was photographed by the paper standing at these rallies. We need this funding. We need this funding. We, and then it was in front of him and he's like, uh, no, because he knew he knew, uh, baby, that's going to sting. That's going to sting, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> anyway, it uh, it's it's just it's insane. Uh, I see Shelly Hughes is uh, in the green room and she's hanging out down there. Let's go. Uh, let's go test drive her uh, audio here and make sure she's all good to go here this morning before we get started. Good morning. Matt. Yeah. How are you doing? Hey, good morning, Michael. I'm very fine. How about you? You're doing good. I'm let me turn you down just a little bit. You are loud and proud this morning. So let me pull this down just a little bit. Y'all ready to y'all ready to do it? It's been a while, hot minute since we talked. Yeah, I'm ready to rock and roll. Totally. Okay, okay good. All right. Well, I'm gonna put you back in the green room just for a minute so we can do the theme and everything else at the top of the hour, and we'll be right back to you. Don't go anywhere. All right. Uh where are we at? 70, almost 70 people in the chat room between all the different various outlets and only 19 people have liked the show. I know it gets tired, it gets old, but it does help. It does help get more people involved. It shows up in more people's feeds. It sh- I mean, I know it's, you know, you get tired. It's hard to push that button every day. I know it's hard. I know it's, you just got to move the mouse over there and then click it. I know it's a lot of work. But it helps get more people involved. So come on, 70 of you with only 19? Come on. All right, Shelly Hughes is up next. The Michael Duke Show, Cop Sense Radio. Here we go.
Oh, buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, yeah, live around the world on the Internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. FM translator, FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program. Of course, also broadcasting live around the world. At MichaelDukeShow.com and the internet, that's where you find everything, including links to our social media sites where we simulcast the show on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And, uh, of course, podcasts, which are available wherever you find good podcasts as well, uh, including Spotify. Uh, Hour two of the big show for Monday, and uh, we are excited because we're getting a chance to chat with uh, one of our favorite legislators who we haven't spoken to in uh, quite a while. I was starting to get a little bit of a complex. I thought maybe, uh, you know, maybe there was some, you know, some hate involved there or something. I'm sure it was nothing like that. But uh, State Senator Shelley Hughes uh, joins us this morning to talk about the session, what's gone on so far, her priorities, a little bit. It's going to be a little bit of everything as we kick things off this morning. Good morning, Senator. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm fine. I, I think I was getting the complex too here. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I see how it is. I see how it is. I, okay. But you know, I, I, you, you have some of my trusty colleagues on pretty regularly. I do. And uh, Senator Rob Meyer, Senator Mike Schauer. So yeah, we're, we're very cool with that. No, I mean, look, it, it would be, it would be fair to say that this show is very friendly to the unsung minority of the Senate, right? I mean, I, you know, you guys are some of my favorite people and uh, we try and give you as much airtime as we can because you get almost no airtime where you're at right now. Right now, right? This is the whole deal. So, um, well, let's uh, let's get started, Shelley. Uh, first and foremost, um, I don't know if we ever talked about the end of session. I don't think we've actually spoken since uh, uh, the end of session and kind of how everything went and what you think, uh, how that's going to affect this coming session. What I mean by that is the turducken, kind of the, the you know, the ultimatum. And then what does that mean coming into this next half of the session? Uh, so let's just get a kind of a brief overview to begin with, and we'll start there, get uh, get your take on all this. Well, I I would say, you know, the, the big T word, trust, was broken during that end of session. And so there was a lot of talk about um, coming back to the table this year um, in a better place. But um, I... I'm I'm not so sure what just happened as far as the call to the floor um, for the override session. That was kind of odd. You, you know, you know, you think about it. Usually, you don't have evening sessions and you don't have joint sessions till the end end of the session. 
And here on day three, we had both a combined evening and joint session. Right, so right. Uh, we didn't waste any time uh, rocking and rolling. And um, yeah, so th that trust factor is big. I think the House majority is ready to play ball, but they're going to be uh, wise uh, as far as um, their steps and and what they will allow. And yeah, so uh, who knows? Who knows um, what will happen? It's this at the national level and at the state level, I think 2024 is a grab your popcorn year. Oh, definitely. I think it's, uh, you know, a little bit of a uh, little cup of coffee or a little glass of whiskey and some popcorn. And that's you're going to watch this whole year and just sit back there and, and go uh, go to town on it. Um, but, yeah, de definitely very interesting. And I, and I think you're right. I mean, the trust issue is definitely big. Um, uh, I look, I would have had no problem with the budget the way it was. I mean, I would have had problems, but I would not have had a problem with anybody voting on it. For me, it was the process, the fact that they broke the process, uh, the tradition, what has what has happened. And again, kind of fractured that trust. And uh, and now we're going to see how the House is going to play it this year. Uh, I imagine that they'll be playing it a little close. They won't be like a month early, be like, oh, here, we're done. Send us yours when you're ready. Uh, I don't think that that uh, I, I'm not saying it was naivete because, again, for the last 50 years, it's worked just fine until this one time. And now it's going to be like. I, I, I said I used the imagery the other day. I said, are they going to meet in the hallway and one's got handing out in one hand and one's grabbing it in the other? And they're like, on on the count of three, we'll let go. You get yours and I get mine. You know, is that uh, yeah, what's going to happen? I think, I think that has literally happened before. And um, I would advise the House to consider that kind of an arrangement. It wouldn't be a bad idea. And um, when you're talking about a budget vote, I want to point out something that you may or may not have picked up on. So when we went to the floor Thursday night, there were three members of the Senate majority who voted um, with the minority. They voted not to override the governor's veto. And I just want to point out that in a very similar situation, when some of us did not vote with the Senate majority on a budget vote, now this on a budget vote that was on a single item at that time, PFD, like this is a single item education funding. Um, we were kicked to the curb and lost yep. committee assignments. Yep. An exception was made for those Senate majority. They were free to um, vote, which which I think they should be free to vote um, the way they want to vote. But there were no consequences. And um, so uh, very interesting. I, I thought, oh, we have three new Senate minority <laughs> yeah, members. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, no, we did not. Um, and that's just an interesting comparison between uh, the, the the folks that are in right now and how they're running things compared to when when we were in a similar situation. Wait, wait, wait. One rule for thee and another for me. Is that how it's working? I mean, is that what's uh, going on here? Uh, they can vote their hearts content. But you guys, you pay the price for the same kind of uh, for the same kind of thing. Uh, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, but the other thing that uh, was brought to my attention that I really hadn't. I guess I hadn't really glommed onto was uh, supposedly this is constitutionally required, according to some people's interpretation. And yet they only voted on one thing and there were well, 30 and, other items, yes. right? I mean, yes. And you'll, you'll also notice that some who were insisting, you know, that it, the constitution required it were um, voting to adjourn, which was also, if you're going to interpret the constitution, the way it was interpreted, you have to include the last line 
which um, refers to the vote of the votes on reconsideration shall be recorded in the House and Senate journals, which mean re reconsidering cannot just be being on the on the floor and saying, you know what, we don't want to deal with that. That's not reconsidering according to the Constitution once you're on if you interpret it that way. So it also means those that interpreted it that way were in violation um, since they've been in. Um, so it was all very interesting. Right. And, you know, plain language is important, but so is sentence structure. So the courts may end up weighing in on that, but it would be very um, laborious if we had to consider every single line item veto, every single bill, um, when there's really not the support to do so. So yeah. uh, the Thursday night was political. It was uh, 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 the House minority wanted it to put people on record. That's what it was. Which, again, I don't think that that necessarily is going to hurt people because they all pretty much kept their. Although, again, the whole Bjorkman Carpenter, that that ought to that. That was interesting to me, again, since Bjorkman was, again, in the paper, waving the sign, saying we needed to do it. And then when push came to shove, it, it so that'll be interesting to watch to see what happens uh, on uh, on that for sure. Um, so what do you think, again, uh, coming into this this session, that trust issue has been broken. So how do you think that's going to fundamentally change? Is it going to change only the end of the session as they swap the budgets or is it going to change things? at every level moving forward what do you think I, I think it'll change things at every uh level and our the house rules chair craig johnson he's very astute i think he'll he'll be really strategizing as far as what bills to move over what to let out um they're going to be very aware of um things can be amended at, at, at the last minute that happens anyway but i think they will be very careful and and you will see a different gameplay this time um, Michael, I, one of the things I want to highlight dur during our time, and you'll tell me when we have to take breaks and all that, is are you aware of my concealed carry in schools bill? Yes, I was going to bring that up a little bit later, but uh, you're welcome to uh, you're welcome to talk about it to begin with. Now we got about five minutes, so if you want to start, okay, with that. I want to delve in. I want to delve into it because I know you have listeners coming and going as they're preparing for work and yep. getting kids geared up for school and everything because our first hearing is Wednesday and public testimony is occurring. Okay. So we need people to call in support. It's gonna be very important. I imagine the anti-gun um, folks will will be signing up to testify. And, you know, I am really thrilled to have heard from teachers who are supporting this. And in fact, the idea, Michael, was birthed by a teacher who is left of center, retired, lived in Bethel in the 1997 um, shooting, was present at the time of that shooting in Bethel, Alaska, and now lives in Palmer and had contacted me. And, you know, every time we see one of these events in the lower 48, you know, we sit there and we mentally go through this exercise, you know, what if someone would have been there that could have taken that shooter out? How many lives could have been um, saved? Maybe no lives or fewer lives would have been lost. And um, so, and, and you know, in our state, actually, technically, we don't have anything that prevents a superintendent from allowing that policy, but none do. And why is that? That is because um, the school boards fears there'll be some accidental thing that will happen. The communities maybe don't feel comfortable with it. And so as much as I'd like a bill that basically just instructed superintendents to uh, conceal 
to, to allow people to conceal carry. I think that that would work. That would that would um, they won't change that wouldn't pass this legislature. Right. Right. And so right. I worked for a couple of years um, at, w with people, very pro gun people to figure out how can we do this responsibly and explain to them. We have communities, we have schools where it isn't just a matter of a minute or two before law enforcement, but it could be 10, 15, 45 minutes, an hour or two, or even a day if weather's bad and they have to fly out. So our faculty, our students are sitting ducks. And doesn't it make sense to have a highly trained, responsible individual on site who can respond immediately? And I think school boards and communities um, could get behind that and support that. Um, and so that that's what the bill is, is doing, requiring schools to assign the duty of concealed carry to at least one individual per school building. Right. And it does require that the that um, the districts compensate them for their training, for the time spent training. And um, yeah, and so I look forward to the discussion. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of support, but I know the anti-gun lobby probably won't. Sure. So that. That hearing is 1.30 on Wednesday. And the uh, I'm assuming that, you know, again, to try and, and short circuit some of the criticism of it, I'm sure that, that they're required to get specific training. Is this a not just anybody can show up, but they have to have a concealed carry license and they had to go through what? Some kind of active shooter training or what? Active shooter training and what it, at school district, they have insurance for liability. So there may be some requirements um, so they can uh, keep their insurance. Um, so whatever training the school boards decide is appropriate in that way. Um, also talking to law enforcement, when someone graduates from the Trooper Academy or a police academy, they actually are not set yet to work in a school setting. There's an extra um, training required. And that's part of what we wanna see. It's specific to a school environment. When you think about it, there's no other locale where you have that ratio of kids to adults and so it is a unique environment so there's specified training just for a school environment and so it's important that these individuals um, will do that we want them to be mentally stable we want them to be physically um, fit one of the things in the bill i am suggesting that we change it's been brought to my attention a person who concealed carry doesn't necessarily have to be able to run up a mountain in record time. So we want to make sure those physical requirements are not too stringent. That's a that's a sensible improvement to the bill that I would support. Uh, and there's Senate Bill 78. Is that correct? No, it's 173. 173. 173. Okay, Senate Bill 173. And it's going up for public testimony on Wednesday at 1.30 and people can go to their LIOs or they can look it up online and find the number and, and we can get folks engaged in that. I think it's a fantastic bill. Um, I don't get the hue and cry from people who are like, oh, we shouldn't have guns where the children are. I mean, they've got uh, they've got, you know, police officers in schools across the country. They've got they harden banks and put banks with with guys with guns and all the things that we protect. We protect with firearms. All the all the places that we protect, we protect with firearms. Aren't the children our most precious commodity out there? Wouldn't that yeah. make sense? Especially if it's and again, you're not forcing anybody. They have to be willing to do it. 
So that makes sense to me. Uh, State Senator Shelley Hughes is our guest. Uh, We are coming up on the break. We're going to take a quick one here. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue. Uh, Don't forget, you can always join us on Facebook if you'd like to uh, be out here asking questions during the break. Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show slash live. You can also find us on YouTube and uh, on Twitch and, of course, listen on the stream as well. We'll be back with more and Senator Shelley Hughes right after this. Listen to by more staffers in Juneau than any other show because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh, man, they're going to be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. You can smile about that. It's fine. <laughs> oh, I love those those little audio clips. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's the truth. I mean, we know that there's... Some legislative aid is being paid on the clock right now to listen to the show and transcribe everything we're going to say. My last name is Dukes, D-U-K-E-S. Spell it correctly, okay? I just want to make sure that that's as least get my name right. Um, let me see if there's any comments or questions from the chat room. Shelly, mention your coffee chat on Saturday, says Terry. Uh, okay. So make sure we'll do that when we come back uh, from that. Um, I'm going through here to say... Uh, see what else is, uh, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, legislators, uh, oh, Dick says legislators should be doing the state's business, not trying to get everyone on record. I mean, again, I don't know to me that was again, political theater because most people know where their legislator stands on this issue because it just took place, you know, in May, right? This is not like this is you know past you know ancient history this is just you know just happened but sure they want to get everybody on record and they want to try and do it uh and try and use it against uh folks uh but again amazing that was the only thing that was actually voted on out of all the things that could have been vetoed or, or you know voted over the veto they only got the one thing so you know uh, is I guess this this leads me to the question of is this how this whole session is going to go? Is this what's going to happen this whole session? There's going to be a lot of this kind of pageantry and kabuki theater kabuki uh, uh, for for uh, you know for politics going on. I I just don't even I just don't even know at this point, Shelley. Uh, I I think it's likely. I think people are going to be watching every little step step and strategizing every single move. So I think you. You could see some more interesting um, and dramatic type of things occurring through the session. It's election year, you know that that'll weigh into it for some folks. So yeah, we're off to a great, great start. And as I said uh, earlier on air, grab your popcorn. Yeah, well, maybe what you really need is a legislative grammarian. Maybe that's what you guys need is somebody who can teach everybody about grammar and sentence structure. It's that will that will help. Um, let's see. Uh, if you have a question for, uh, for Senator Hughes, uh, now is the time to ask it in the, uh, uh, in the chat room. Uh, I'd love to hear it. I don't want to get too far into the weeds with her, uh, during the commercial break. Cause I don't want to repeat myself, uh, on the, uh, uh, repeat myself when we come back to it. Yeah. And I, I have a zillion things I'd like to still, not a zillion, but I have a number of things I still want to talk about. Sure. SB 173, the concealed carry bill. 
but I want your entire audience to hear it. So I'm kind of not oh. let stuff out now that I'll repeat. Okay. Um, yeah, no, well, just to get, give me the, I'll, I'll give you your head here uh, and we can, uh, we can just go from there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the effect of being in an unspoken mi- minority when we come back and then I'll just let you have the floor for the remainder of the show. And if you got, yeah, some and, and that, talk about. that is fascinating um, when it comes to this education bill too. So we'll have to talk about that Yeah, because there's um, details that people don't realize um, in organization and how that impacts things like that. So it's, it's all, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Well, yeah. the, the education bill is interesting. I don't know if you heard what I was talking about at the end of the last se- uh, segment or if the last hour, but I had to laugh when Senator Loki Tobin is quoted as saying, oh, well, you know, they've just they put too much in this bill. I mean, it was just supposed to be the in- Internet speed bill. And now it just it's too many. Co- it makes it heavy. It makes it convoluted. It makes it difficult for the public to digest. I mean, this is she's part of the same crew that dropped the entire budgets into one giant, enormous omnibus bill and then said, you've got five hours to figure it out. But putting three additional items in a one item bill was way too complex, apparently. So if I hold this up, is, is it backwards? Are those letters nope, backwards? It says, no, it says building. Yes. Okay, so yes. Yeah. Senator Tobin held a lunch and learn on this. And I was concerned by the title because our lunch and learns aren't supposed to promote bills or policies and so i thought that's what it was and i i had one of my staffers attend and listen and bring back the materials and it's fascinating i'm not sure how she reacted because the speaker was a phd i don't remember what university and he basically was pushed saying how important it was to tie funding to things that are proven to help students hold on a second we'll get back to this here the michael duke show common sense radio Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, Enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. See, grammar does matter. I mean, it it, it does matter. Uh, Senator Shelley Hughes, our guest here on the Michael Duke show. Uh, We're talking about uh, stuff coming up on this session and everything else. I know she's got some bills that she wants to discuss and some of the things that that she wants to kind of go over. Uh, But before we get into that, I do want, uh, I do have one question because again, you know, there was some speculation that maybe with the turning of the clock and maybe with the next half of the session, maybe you guys would be welcomed back into the majority because you'd had your time out and maybe there would be some change in the and no nothing happened nothing changed it's basically you've got no committee i mean you've got committee positions but you and shower on committees that hardly ever meet um and basically you've got nothing else so you guys are in this kind of unspoken super minority essentially it's not even a recognized minority because you don't have enough people for that uh, or they choose not to they choose not to acknowledge it and so how do you think that's going to affect i mean you know how did it affect you last half of the session and how's it going to affect you this half of the session because essentially and this is my commentary not shelley's but they they've disenfranchised all your voters uh that that elected you all the people that you represent because you now have no power, authority, or really ability to craft policy. I mean, you can make amendments from the floor and everything else, but you're just basically getting voted down at every opportunity. You've got no ability to change that. So how is that going to affect you being in this unsung minority 
um, you know, going forward for the rest of this session? Well, I want to make two points about that. Number one, it doesn't stop us. It doesn't stop me. And, um, you know, because I knew I last year, as a case in point, couldn't get the girls' sports bill through the Senate majority. They'd made it clear in, in press conferences they weren't interested in legislation like that. And so I worked with the Athletic Association and then the State Board of Education to um, take care of that matter there. So I also am working with House members and many things that happened in, in not many, but a number of things in the House that happened were um, were supported and boosted by conversations and even providing language and amendments. So we're, we're not stopped. And of course, we have a good relationship with the House majority. We have a good relationship with the governor. So that's to our advantage. So that's number one. It's not going to stop us. Number two, this is what I I've, I feel like your audience needs to know because you you have political junkies on on your in your audience. So I think this is something they totally can wrap their brains around that you might not hear uh, on a on a regular news report. And that is um, the formation of the Senate majority being seventeen and a supermajority with eight Republicans and nine Democrats. What and, and not a recognized minority, because there's only three of us and you have to have five to be a recognized minority. What happens when you have a conference committee? Normally in a conference committee, you have two from the House majority, two from the House Senate majority, one from the House minority and one from the Senate minority. But what's going to happen and what happened with the budget and what will happen, I believe, with this education bill, SB 140, because my sense and what I'm hearing is a Senate majority is not going to concur with SB 140. They don't like the correspondence piece. They don't like the charter school piece. They will not concur. It will go to a conference committee. But how will that makeup be? What you will end up with is three in the Senate, all from the majority on that conference committee. You Then you will have two from the House majority and one from the House minority. And when you do the math, it's basically you will have, it'll be a four to two scenario. So you will have four votes that probably don't like the correspondence schools and the charter school provisions and two that want to keep them. So how, how organization unfolds after an election, people don't pay attention. They don't, they just don't pay much attention to that. Many of my constituents don't understand that I'm in, in a Senate minority. The ones that pay close attention do, but many don't realize it. And um, so people don't really know that this is this is one of the ramifications. It's a really incredible ramification as far as what policy you can get through and what you can't get through. When you have that four to two scenario, it's very, very difficult. And in this case, that four to two scenario is against the conservatives. And that, of course, is very frustrating since, again, the majority of people in the legislature, in the Senate specifically, are ostensibly Republicans. And yet they they created this coalition, uh, again, punishing the conservative Republicans and pushing them to the outside. And, uh, you know, for them to, you know, beat those kids on the outside of the glass looking in, uh, kind of watching what's going on. It doesn't stop you from working, but it, boy, does it really hinder your work in that regard. 
Uh, and uh, and I could see that for sure. Um, Senator, what are your priorities coming into this session? And this is where we could talk about some of the bills that you want to talk about. We just talked about your um, uh, your concealed carry in schools bill, SB 178, uh, which is going up. 173. For, 173, I'm sorry, which is going up for public testimony on Thursday at 1. No, Wednesday. Wednesday at 1.30. Okay, Wednesday, this is why she's here. Wednesday. And and let me make a point about that. There is something scheduled on the agenda before us. I think it's a workforce presentation, uh, workforce development at the university. So I'm not sure how long that will last. So people, when they call in, they need to be patient, maybe have something to work on on the side because probably the SB 173 portion won't begin until after two o'clock. So people need to be prepared for being patient and have something very concise um, and meaningful to say during their couple minutes. So appreciate that. Um, And if you're listening and you're aware and you support protecting our children, saving lives, I ask that you let other people that you know also call in and encourage them to testify. And and here's here's the thing. There have been about 350,000 kids in in our in in our country who've exposed to um, situations where there's been um, gunfire and active shooter on campus. It's becoming more and more common as each year passes. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I believe parents and community members, families and faculty understand that. And sadly, many of our students are very cognizant of that and that they, they shouldn't have to be worrying about that. And I am not opposed, Michael, to um, prevention measures at the front end. If there's ways we can harden our schools through certain security measures, if um, a school principal, if if I've heard of cases where they've been able to intervene, a child's very troubled, a student reports something about a child talking about bringing a gun to school, right. those kinds of things. That front end intervention, prevention, let's do it. It's right. good. Right. But we need to have a stop gap on the back end, and we don't. So there are going to be times where that intervention does not stop that individual. And as you said, we are a concealed carry state. And so if somebody's going crazy, they're not going to go into a shopping center because there's going to be people around sure. concealed carrying. Yeah. They, you know, they're going to think about where can they go. And right now, sadly, our our school campuses are gun free. So they're going to be drawn to that. And it's worked well in other states. Utah, um, they've got it in place there. It's working. In fact, when I mentioned the left of centered retired teacher who came forward urging me to put forward this bill, he pointed to Utah and how it is working well there. And we've seen uh, we've seen this happen uh, across the uh, uh, across the country where there has been instances of this going on. The Pearl shooting, the Pearl High School shooting uh, in 20, I don't know, it was was back 10 years ago or so. That was where a principal was able to go to his car and retrieve a firearm from his car and go in and stop the shooter. Um, and and there's been some instances of that happening in the past. Uh, the Greenville Mall shooter, of course, you know, where he was able, to, wasn't supposed to have a gun there, 
but was able to stop the active shooter and actually received a letter of commendation from the mall owners, even though he was supposed to. They were, there was questions about whether or not he was going to be charged for having a firearm on the premises when he stopped the shooter. But instead, he got a commendation letter from the mall ownership saying, thank you for protecting our customers. I mean, you're right. If they know that they're going to go to a place and uh, that most Alaskans are, you know, that there's a, a, a chunk of Alaskans that are carrying, they're not going to shoot at those places. They're going to go to places where there is a gun-free zone. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, so, you know, if we wait to have this, um, make a decision on this back-end stopgap policy, um, I think it will be a dreadful shame. It will be... Um, an inexcusable mistake. We, if we wait until after there's a tragedy, that's just going to be uh, really sad. So, you know, I know there are people who are anti-gun and I get it where, you know, I don't agree with them, but I get it. But even an anti-gun person, if their son or daughter is about to get shot in a classroom or out in the school parking lot, by the way, a lot of them occur outside more often than inside. Um, I even think that anti-gun parent would like the the shooter to be taken out and um, to save their child. So yeah, well, um, I mean, this this isn't about being pro or anti-gun. This is about saving lives. Right. It's about pro-safety. It's about protecting the children. I mean, they're not against the police showing up and taking care of the shooter. Why not have somebody who's, I mean, when seconds count, the police are only minutes away. Why not have somebody on site, on hand, who has the training to be able to take care of that and protect the kids. I think that's a, I think that's a good, good point. Uh, we're coming up on the next break. Uh, you do have a uh, coffee clatch on Saturday. I wanted to remind you to, to mention that. Yes. Yeah. Good morning, Terry. Um, thanks for the reminder. It's at nine o'clock. Um, we have, we've had a tough time finding a place on the Palmer side. My district really spreads out uh, quite the distance. And um, just because of the noise level, some of the coffee shops in Palmer, it's too noisy. We can't get enough people around the table and be able to hear one another. So we're trying a new venue and it is the Palmer um, Church on the Rock campus. And um, it's real close to the main core Palmer area and should be nice and quiet. And at nine o'clock this Saturday. Nine to 1030, the information is on my Senator Shelley Hughes Facebook page. As far as the address, the time, 9 to 1030. So look forward to seeing um, new folks and people that I've known. This, you know, it's so important. We do work on behalf of the people, Michael. And so it's really important to connect and understand what issues are rising to the top as far as of their concerns. All right, State Senator Shelley Hughes, we got one more segment and we'll talk about some of the other things she's going to be focused on in the upcoming session. We'll return with more of the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Back with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show.
Okay, uh, Shelly Hughes is our guest. I want to go back to what you were talking about before we came back into the break, and that was Senator Tobin's presentation, um, which you said you were concerned that maybe she was advocating for something. But it turns out, when it was all said and done, building a yes-and approach to education policy. Uh, and uh, you said, but what it turns out was that her 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 expert speaker was basically saying there needs to be some quantifiable, provable uh, uh, stuff in education, which is ironic considering how much pushback you got on the Read by Nine program. Right. And and all the pushback that we got last May when the Senate minority proposed amendments to do exactly what this PhD was recommending. Instead of just um, increasing the BSA willy-nilly throwing money to the wind, districts spend it however you'd like, um, our amendments were to target that money specifically to things that are will work to help raise student achievement. And those were all shot down. It was kind of fun because a few majority members voted for them initially, and then they look around the room and realize the rest of their majority members aren't voting for them. So then they all started going down in flames with just Myers, Shower, and Hughes voting for them, which which is fine. But it's it was really fascinating then to hear that the speaker was basically supporting what we were trying to do. And, you know, I've talked to the House majority members in the last week and to Senate majority members. You you have two camps. You have one camp that says, just give us money, stick it under the BSA. We want to spend it however we want, and we want lots. The other camp says our, our scores are really bad. We're 49th, 50th, every grade level, every subject. We can't just throw money to the wind. We need to target that money. And we're not wild about putting it under the BSA. But if you look historically, we tend to give an amount under the uh, outside the BSA every year. So what I have proposed, and you know, I am a consensus builder. I build consensus without forsaking my conservative values. That's that's a big part of what I do here. So I have been talking to people about you can actually marry these in a way without forsaking our conservative values. Is you basically target take targeted money and then you put it under the BSA. Because if we're going to put it outside the BSA every year anyway, we could put it under in the BSA as long as it's targeted for things that are proven to improve um, to improve achievement. Right. So that that would be a, a point, you know, of discussion. Now I don't know if there vote votes. There may be resistance to that, but I, as a Senate minority, we talked about it last year, and that's something we felt we could get on board with because it's not okay that our kids are graduating or not equipped um, to function productively. It's it's just not okay. And when you're spending more than a billion dollars and you're talking about increasing that, wouldn't it be nice to know that results would go off? I mean, really? Well, and that's the thing. I know that Shower and others that talked about some of the votes where they're like, okay, sure, we'll vote for it, but we've got to have some accountability factors built into this. And then it was immediately riddled full of bullets. I mean, wait a second. You want the money, but you don't want any of the accountability? And what about the factor? What about the the provision that used to be in there that said that 70% of the BSA needed to be spent in the classroom? That's gone. That's gone away. Uh, that's been that's yeah. been that's been gone for 25 years. When when why don't we bring that back? Make sure that yeah, the majority that was, that of those funds get there. Yeah, that was one of our uh, amendments. And beware because you will hear those who support greatly increasing the BSA. You will hear them talk about 
accountability but and transparency. But what they mean by that is different than what you and I mean by that, because they want a dashboard on a website that hardly anybody will look at that shows, you know, what, what the score scores are, et cetera. To me, if I tell my child they must clean their room, do I just let the child come back and say, yeah, mom, I cleaned my room, or do I get up and go look to make sure they clean their room and they did a good job, right? You actually expect results. You expect the room to be cleaned up. I don't expect just a report that um, something may or may not have happened. So transparency and accountability could could simply mean the scores are being posted and they're the same as they were last year. Right. So that's not, that's not that's not the kind of accountability that we are talking no, about. We're we, talking about um, something that really we get proven results. We need an accountability of results. We need to see it at the end of the NEEP scores and everything else. We need to see that we're not 49th, 48th, 49th, and 50th in all these categories. That's where the accountability – I don't care about your dashboard. What is the end result? What is the finished product? And right now, the education industry is de delivering a flawed and faulty product – what can we do to get to that point? And I think, yeah, it's, uh, it, it you know, and I want to, I want to bring up, cause there's a new story out that the state board of education adjusted the cut scores for the, um, Alaska star te uh, state tests. And people need to understand that you usually do rebalance. And so what was a score of 1572? So 1,572 is now, a 1,568. That's a really a fraction of a, a cent. And what they're doing is let's, rebalancing it. Let's pick People that up. Let's pick upset. that up. Hold on. Let's pick that up because we're about to rejoin. So let's pick that up here on the other side. And we'll start with that and then move on to other stuff. Okay. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. The Michael Duke Show, proudly splitting the left versus right uh, dichotomy. Yeah, I had to look that word up too. I don't think it means what he thinks it means. Here he is, though. That guy, Michael Dukes, the one with the show. Yep, I know what dichotomy means, even if he didn't. That's fine. That's fine. We're back. Shelley Hughes is our guest, state senator. We were just talking about education uh, and the, you know, looking for some accountability, looking for some metrics, looking for some ideas on how we can track the, you know, how beneficial education actually is. And uh, I was saying that, you know, you know, that I know that they had asked for some accountability and increased funding and things like that. And she'd mentioned how the state was like, oh, well, we could just put a dashboard up and everything. And I'm like, I don't care about a dashboard. I want us not to be 48th, 49th, 50th in the in the scoring, in the academic testing at the end of the year. That's that's where I want the accountability to be. If we can move the needle on that, then I feel like we're doing a good job. Forget about all the stuff in the middle. What is the actual outcome in the end? And then you started talking about some of the changes that uh, Education Department of Ed or something had done on some of the starts, testing, and things like that. So give us that before we move on to the next. Yeah, and I, I want to mention, too, because the time just goes crazy by. I've got an artificial intelligence bill we'll probably need to talk about if we don't have time today. I want to talk about food security and energy. And we just don't have time for all that. And education is kind of the focus right now. So sure. it, it's fine that we delve into that. And as, as I said earlier to you, when I tell my child to clean their room, I don't want to just look at a report. I want to go see that they did it. When um, some of the, the, the big NEA supporters 
talk about accountability and transparency. They're simply talking about a dashboard and that dashboard might simply report that the scores were the same as the previous year and there was no improvement. That is not, like you said, we wanna actually see those results improve. Right. So last week, the State Department, the State Board of Education um, made some adjustments to the cut stores, cut scores to the AK star, which is the state assessment. So we're not talking about the national test, we're talking about the state. And that is a normal process after a couple of years when you have a, uh, a, a test um, unveiled and in use, you, you have to do some rebalancing, some adjusting. And so it's being reported like it's a terrible thing. And I'm not gonna, I haven't had a chance to talk to, with board members, so I don't know, but I do know when a score is adjusted from 1,572, so 1,572 to 1,568, that is a tiny fraction of a percent adjustment. So it doesn't terribly worry me. It does not change the um, proficiency cutoffs and the rungs of the national tests. And that's where we get the data about our students being 49th and 50th, virtually in every subject, every grade level. <clears throat> so I'm, I, it, um, the, the adjustment of those AK star tests, let's, let's kind of hold off judgment on that until we get a better explanation. I personally am not extremely worried about because those natural tests, will, those, um, those cut scores are staying the same and the minute change in the AK star testing doesn't really trouble me at this point. So <clears throat> predictions on education. Uh, as we go forward then, because as you said, this has been the number one stated priority of the state of the Senate minor, uh, majority. Uh, it's the number one stated priority of the House minority. Uh, you've already laid out how you think that the conference committee is going to be weighted in the uh, in the other direction. So what do you think is going to happen here with the school funding and those kind of things? Is there going to be accountability? What are we what are we looking at here for this session, do you think? You know what what I what I believe and I and you know where I believe the two camps can be married of um, a free for all lots of money inside the under the formula to targeted money outside the money targeting as to student improvements. I as I said I think that could be married. It, that could be a negotiating way <clears throat> because the House majority and the Senate minority we want to see student improvement and we don't we want it done in a responsible way. So targeted funding under the formula might be what we could see, but it's got to be something we can pay for. So, you know, this this talk of raising the BSA $1,400 per student. Oh, give me a break. How how can you guarantee that into the future? That that's right. basically saying it's it's time to increase taxes yesterday. If you're talking 1400 per student, that's just that's just um Pie in the sky, pie well, in the sky that, funding amount. That leads back to the big question that Brad Keithley asks all the time, which is who pays? I mean, you want to do all these things. You want to spend all this money. You want to create all these programs or put much, you know, extra money into the BSA. Okay, great. Who pays? Where does the money come from? We're already projecting you know, massive multi-hundred million dollar deficits moving into the future based on even the rosiest numbers from from revenue and everything else. So who pays in the future? Nobody's talking about that, it seems like. Yeah, and it, it we absolutely need to have that conversation. You're not hearing, except from a few of us, that, that talk about the need for a, um, to settle on a fiscal plan. And we've seen that 
that hasn't gotten traction. I do not expect that to occur this year, but it doesn't mean it doesn't need to happen. Um, so it, I, I think I, I think there are enough people that understand fourteen hundred dollars is over the top. I I do think there might be the votes to uh, raise the BSA above the three hundred that is in there right now. But I'm actually concerned about the three hundred that's in there right now because it is not targeted. You know, I I'd rather have four or five hundred targeted in there than three hundred not targeted. That's 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 me right because I care about kids. My my kids went to the schools here and. You know, that was back before they, you know, things started going awry. So it's, you know, I've got grandkids. I care. You know, you're going to have neighborhood schools. I think school choice is incredibly important. The correspondence charity option is incredibly important. And other states where they've expanded school choice to actually backpack funding where the money follows the child. And that's happening. There's a bunch of states. There's more than a dozen states now doing things like that. What you see is the neighborhood schools actually get better right. and parents decide to keep their kids in them because right. the neighborhood schools step up to the plate. Right. Because, again, competition breeds proficiency and breeds excellence. And that's what we need in these kind of in these kind of issues, uh, which we're you know, we're not talking about right now uh, or because it's a it's a dirty word. And, and as you point out, the BSA, even a three hundred dollar BSA increase. Because there's no accountability and less than 50 percent of the monies are actually making it into the classrooms, uh, most of this stuff's being sucked up by overhead or other programs or, you know, building maintenance or all these other other things that they're pushing it into. They're not. And, and you know what, Michael, Michael, when a bill that I have, SB 110, school health insurance, which would allow the districts to pool with the state employee health insurance, that has a potential to free up 200 million. 200 million for sure. districts across, sure. across the state. And when that bill is heard and it just sits there and language, languishes, I'm, I'm sorry, if you really care about the schools, you would have fast-tracked that sure. bill to, to allow well, those dollars to be freed up. I mean, talking about consolidation of school districts, duplication of effort that we have in many of these things with the same duplicative, you know, uh, uh, superintendents and, and staff and all this other kind of stuff. Some districts have got, you know, uh, 5,000 people in them. Some people have got 12. I mean, you know, all this kind of stuff. I mean, there are so many ways that we could be making it more efficient and saving money. And yet we're not doing any of that. Uh, and so is it really... In the long run, is it really about the children or is it about protecting the status quo or embellishing the status quo in the education industrial picture? Yeah, it, it, it's not all about money. You think there are one one room schoolhouses in very poor countries where the students are doing better than in some of our fancy schools with all the amenities anybody could ever want. So um, we, we have to figure out um, how how to bring up the the scores. And I know it's not all about tests. I mean, it, a child, you can have a kid with test anxiety, but that, that's the exception. The, the scores do give us a general sense of how the schools are doing. And we do have a problem. And, you know, I, 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 I'm not sure how it'll all come out because of that conference committee being leaning towards the left and not being balanced like you'd usually see in a typical year. So I, I cannot predict, right. but all I know is as, as a Senate minority member, I will work with the governor. I will work the house house um, majority. I'll work with the house minority and Senate majority 
to do what's best for our kids. Um, but we, you got to have targeted money if you're going to give them any increase. Less than two minutes here, uh, Senator Hughes. So I'll give you the final word. Any other thing? And we'll have to have you yeah, back to yeah. talk about your AI so, bill um, and everything we else. We probably ought to connect again soon because my artificial intelligence bill, it's the very first um, on that subject. It's also on political deep fakes, which is really important in 2024. We may have a hearing on that next week. So not this week, but next week. We don't know yet, but um, Senator Co Scott Kawasaki, state affairs chair said he's interested in, in scheduling it. So we may get um, that one. In That's fascinating because it's really important um, as state agencies start to deploy AI for efficiency purposes, we wanna make sure that individual liberties are protected and um, make sure there's uh, uh, reporting back that there's a, an ability for um, consent, the pr protection of the data. There's there's just so many things, and the technology is evolve, evolving quickly, and we're, we can't stop it. So we have to harness it and try to uh, channel it to be used appropriately. Political deepfakes, fascinating. They could make a convincing video of me saying something totally opposite to what I believe in. Right. They could have me confessing a crime. I mean, it could be horrendous. So we, we need to get a handle of that. And so that's gonna be an exciting conversation. And I look forward to citizens across the state getting engaged in that one with us. State Senator Shelley Hughes, uh, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate you coming on board. We'll have you back on again soon. Hold the line for just one second. Folks, we're out of time tomorrow. Brad Keithley, Chris Story. That's it for today, a fast two hours, woof. The Michael Duke Show. Be kind, love one another, live well. Back with more tomorrow. All right, Shelley, wanted to give you again one final bite at the apple. Anything else that we absolutely need to get out uh, here? You got a, a couple minutes here to before we let yeah, you go. Yeah, a whole new top topic. We're having our first food and farm caucus, um, and we we expect there to be some um, a couple bills rolled out. Representative Rauscher, the governor. Um, on ag we're trying to remove barriers do what we can to um help that industry and um there's there's incredible potential it's not an overnight deal we don't want boondoggles we're not talking hundreds of millions of dollars we're not going to do what happened in the past where bureaucrats made decisions we're really listening i did several farm tours but there there are tweaks that we can do that will be helpful um you know, lowering taxes uh, on, on on farm structures and things like that, that, you know, we, we've got farmers who, who will not uh, continue to provide our grocery stores goods because it's too expensive. The taxes take out any profit they'd make. So um, we, we have to look at even opening up an export market because some of the products don't make sense when you have a tiny population spread out, out over vast areas. It's too expensive. The investment would, is too great. They have to be able to have an export market to have the investment make sense. So um, there, there's a lot of opportunity, but there's a lot of work to be done. And we want to get, you know, there's a lot of public support. So um, hopefully we'll get some items through and we'll keep chipping away at it. So that our Food and Farm Caucus is convening for the first time Wednesday. Um, we, uh, we also, yeah, our... I'm chairing the task force on the same topic on food security. So we have a meeting the following, no, later this week too, that's a, a board meeting. So I just want folks to know that um, I'm working on that one well, consistently. 
we'll have to report on that sometime to your greater audience. I'll be honest with you. Uh, food security is an issue that I'm deeply concerned about. And uh, I tried for almost six weeks to get somebody on to talk about it. I finally got somebody from the governor's office. Can't remember who. Uh, very, it was a, it was a very underwhelming conversation. Let's put it that way. It was definitely not, uh, it was not detailed and it was, uh, it was kind of a lot of platitudes. I was not I was not pleased with the interview when it was all said and done because it just didn't give us the information that we needed. So hopefully we can uh, hopefully we can uh, have you on or have others on from the Food Security Task Force to talk about these. Yeah, issues. and I'm guessing that was because they were working on what they were going to roll out and you had to keep it confidential, hush hush. But they, they've got something coming out and I think there'll be freedom. I, I actually see um, even though your experience was such, as far as working with different governors, I see um, more commitment to this than I've ever seen in any other governor. And the person, Andrew Jensen, who is working on this, he's very business savvy and he's doing his homework. So they are gonna roll out some stuff that's gonna help and um, looking for, forward to doing what we can. It's tricky because as even though I chair that, I am a minority member. And so normally as, a, as a chair, I would probably have some kind of farm bill, but I, I'm not just because my stuff doesn't move. So we'll be working on the on the vehicles, the bills that are out there to um, do our best. And of course, I'm not at a committee table. Or a committee right, either. right. Yeah. That doesn't stop me. That does not stop me. We will work on language and we will get it to the different committee members and, and try to get things in the best that we can to do what we can to kind of remove barriers and strengthen the industry. Shelly Hughes, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on board. We'll see you. Uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. All right. Sounds good, Michael. All right. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, folks. We're out of time. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show